That wherever you are is where I want to be. That ought to be the desire, the cry of every Christian's heart. Amen. To be where Jesus is. And I know we say, well, wherever two or three gather in his name, he's there in your midst. And Jesus is everywhere. But I'm not talking about just the fact that we know God is always with us. I'm talking about when he really, truly manifests as that glory, that presence, to where you know you don't have to go to look into the scripture. He's with me. Amen. His presence has touched me. Boy, that's what we ought to be seeking. This morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And um, I'm still working with a computer that don't want to participate. So y'all hang with me. So we're going to just preach this morning with your Bible. But I want to invite you to turn here with me. I want to look at a, something this morning on a topic of, but you were not willing and as we look at this, it is at the time, which is right now, Palm Sunday, the, 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 the Passover is approaching. It's the Thursday that right would have been this past Thursday when Jesus entered in in the triumphal entry into his holy city, the city of God, Jerusalem. And we've all heard it. You've probably seen it preached around Easter. And I was looking at it, going to preach an Easter type prayer. Sermon, but God took a verse out of it that just popped out and got my attention, and God began to speak to my heart. So we're going to read it, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at something, and we're going to kind of let verse 41 get our attention this morning, as it did me, when God began to birth this message into my heart. If you look with me here, Jesus is entering in, he's riding into the city, and the crowd is there, and they're praising him. I mean, they're praising him to the extent the old Pharisees are saying, make them be quiet, they're getting out of control. And Jesus said, if they was to be quiet, the stones would cry out. I mean, they're giving him the red carpet treatment. They're taking their clothes and throwing them on the ground where he can ride his donkey over it. They're throwing palm branches and as a sign of giving him Messiahship. And they're praising and saying things that are calling him the king, the Messiah, the son of David. But when he gets to verse 41, he says something that's totally out of the way. And it, it just blew me away. I'd never seen it until the other day. And I hope it'll get your attention as it got mine, because I think it'll do you good. But if you look with me in verse 36 here, it says, And as he, Jesus, went, many spread their clothes on the ground. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you was to look at Matthew's account, it says, Then the multitudes went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you look when you get right below here in verse 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees, the religious crowd, called out to him, saying from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said to them, I will tell you that if, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And I could just see Jesus laughing to himself. Ha ha. He said, they can't help it. But then the next verse, man, when I read it, I'm like, what? Jesus should be celebrating. He should be like doing high fives, you would think. I mean, the city has received him. They're praising him and giving him attention that is calling him the Messiah. 
They're saying the things that they would have done. But when you see the next verse, verse 41, Now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. He cried. And then he begins to say some things right here. If you had known even you, especially in this day, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And then he says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. There's one thing that Israel, their biggest mistake they ever made in a list of many. They were a mistake in, they made many. Biggest mistake they ever made is they didn't recognize their Messiah. They didn't even know who he was when he came. And friends, today I fear that many people who have a lot of religion, a lot of knowledge, that when Jesus shows up, they don't even recognize his presence. And I just want to share something that God put on my heart this week. And so, Father, I want to ask you to help me to preach this morning from this text. Help me not to fall prey to trying to copy the last sermon, last service. Lord, I just want to preach new and afresh. I want to see you bring these scriptures to life. And help me just to be open to let you speak as you need to this group. It's led by your spirit. So, Father, take these words and help us to see the, the danger of being not willing to believe in who you are and let you do what you came to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you see that and everyone's excited. They're calling him. They're throwing the red carpet out. They're praising him. And Jesus is riding into the city. You're saying, what's this about? Why is he weeping? Because Jesus can see all things. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knew this same crowd that was praising him, saying, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. Next week would be hollering, crucify him. See, he knew that what they were doing wasn't real. It was just based out of Feelings, possibly, emotions. They'd heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They'd heard he'd done miracles. They'd heard he'd been doing all kind of extraordinary things. I mean, from their own mouths, you can see in the text, as you look through the Gospels, that they gave things about Jesus. They said things like, no man has ever spoke like this before. Could he be the Messiah? No man has ever done the things that this man has done. Could he be the Messiah? And Jesus is there. He's entering into the holy city. He's at his third Passover. He's riding in. And as he comes in, they're all accepting him and acknowledging him that he is the Messiah. But they didn't really, truly, apparently believe it. Friends, if you was to look through the Bible, you'd find places where Jesus had been to the Passover before. And we know that Jesus went to three Passovers. That was the big holiday of their religious calendar and it was ordained that Jesus would be crucified on the Passover as our Passover lamb all to point that he was the Messiah that his sacrificial death was to pay for the sins of man all of that is good stuff to preach about but as he's riding in now a 
Passover before, I don't know if it was the first Passover or the second, but if you was to look with me in the Gospel of John, he went to a Passover and they all praised him that time. They all was receiving him. But listen what it says. You don't have to turn there because we're just going to look at this right quick. But let me give it to you just in a second. It says in the Gospel of John, I'm trying to find my mark. Here it is. Second chapter, verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You know, today when we give all of our religious activity, we praise him, we sing, we amen a preacher, we give an offering, we come and we act and we play the part of being a good Baptist believer. Jesus sees beyond everything on the outside, and he sees right into the inside. You see, these religious believers, these religious leaders primarily... They thought that the Messiah was going to come and bless them and give them what they wanted based on the fact that they were the offspring and descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God named Yahweh. Because they had their religious system. They were given the sacrificial system. They had the temple. They had the law. They were the chosen people of God. And they thought all of that stuff made them righteous. And they was expecting God to come with a Messiah to do all the things they were wanting to do based upon the fact that they deserved it. And you know what they wanted them to do? They was expecting the Messiah to show up and deliver them from the tyranny and from the captivity and the bondage of being under the Romans. They were no longer a sovereign, free country. And they thought that he would liberate them, that he would come, that he would set them free from the Romans, that he would... um, come and give them back what they wanted. You know what they really wanted? They was wanting to return to the glory days of David. That's why they were looking to him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. King David, they were saying that was what they thought that's what the Messiah would do. But Jesus didn't just come to do all those things. Jesus came looking at them for who they were. The first thing Jesus did after what we just read, the next verse is that he went into the temple, turned over all the tables, and accused them of turning God's business into profit. He said, you have taken God's house and turned it into a den of thieves. That which was meant to be a house of prayer, you have turned into a house of merchandise. You see, if you look in the Gospels, the week of the the, the passion from that point on, when he confronted them, they said, and what authority are you doing this? <laughs> And Jesus looked at them and he says, well, I'll ask you a question. If you answer it, I'll tell you. And he said, John the Baptist, did his message, did his ministry come from heaven? And they got to talking and they did what religious people do. Well, you know, everyone liked John the Baptist. He had a big following. Everyone supported him. The people believed in him. If we say no, the people would be mad. But if we say yes, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you repent? <laughs> why didn't you listen to him? Why didn't you be baptized? And they're saying, they look at Jesus, they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither do I tell you. And from there, if you look at the Passion Week, there's a confrontation. Jesus is confronting them. And he's confronting them because on the outside, they think they're all righteous and they're all holy. And they're all supposed to be deserving of this Messiah to come and to take their nation and give them everything they wanted. What they basically wanted was what you hear America wants today. Make Israel great again. 
And I fear that there's a lot of people in America today that is more concerned about Jesus making America great again than about making you holy again. Making you truly righteous inside. You see, Jesus, as you look through that week, man, he had some heavy confrontations, man. He confronted them. He said, look, you whitewashed tombs on the outside, you look all good and you look all wonderful. On the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. And you're full of death. And he's confronting them. And they're getting angry. Because, see, they didn't want to give their authority. They didn't want a Messiah that came to fix them and take over and be over their life. They wanted a Messiah to come and do and fix all their problems. You see, a lot of people in church today, they don't want a Jesus. They don't want a Savior that changes them. They want a Savior that will fix their problems, take away their troubles, forgive them of all their sin. But don't by any means expect me to have to change. Don't by many means expect me to give you allegiance and authority over my life. And so something was going on that you may not know unless you really look at the Scripture and study it. But back in chapter 13, before you ever get there, Jesus spoke something. This is where I get the title of what I'm going to preach about, the point of the rest of this sermon. This is kind of introduction. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Jesus is saying, I wanted to bless you. I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to provide for you. I was going to protect you. Jerusalem, my city, I wanted to treat you like a mother hen with her brood and just love you. But you were not willing. Do you know how much God is willing to do in your life this morning? That not only is He willing, He is able. But you don't let Him? See, if you're lost today, if you're not truly born again, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and have assurance that God lives in you, that you've been born again, that you are a child of God, His Spirit bearing Spirit with your spirit by the fact He leads you and He's leading you into the path of righteousness for His namesake. And you have a shepherd who's over your life named Jesus. And you know that. You make mistakes. Sometimes you wander, but your shepherd's there for you. It's because you're not willing. You see, if anybody wakes up in hell, especially after what you're going to hear this morning, it won't be because God sent you there, it'll be because you wasn't willing to come to Christ this morning. Because He's willing to save. He's willing to bless. In fact, He's willing to do more for us than we even believe He's willing to do. And He can do more for you than you're willing to trust Him to do. As a matter of fact, God tells us that if you are saved this morning, if you are a child of God, He says this about us. He says that, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. So if you're saved and you love God, your heart is the heart of that song that we heard sung so beautifully, that where He is, I want to be. Lord, I want to be like you, what that song sang. That's the heart of a person who loves God, and that's God's will for your life. He wants you to be like Him. He wants you to be where He's at. He wants to be real in your life. As a matter of fact, that verse, if you look at the verse below that, it doesn't mean He's going to bless your mess and make every mistake and every bit of your rebelliousness and sinfulness good, but He's going to work all things together for good in your life for those who love him called according to his purpose because what is his purpose for whom he foreknew he predestined he predetermined he preplanned to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be among many brethren we'll all resemble one another because we resemble him 
That's the plan of God. And friends, listen, the things in our lives that trouble us, that cause us shame, that brings us grief, those stumbling blocks, He's able to help you with them. And the unbelievable thing is He's willing. He'll save you no matter how lost you think you may be. The devil will tell you you can't be saved. You don't deserve it. There's never been anyone deserved it. And never will. But friends, listen, not only that, but listen, he's got prepared for those of us who he saved unbelievable things that we can't even imagine. Listen what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. As it has been written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Can you imagine what God's got prepared for us? Let me tell you how willing God is to bless us, to save us. He's so willing to save us, and Jesus is so willing to get us saved that He sent His Son. Jesus left the glories of heaven, left the throne, left the presence of His Father, took on flesh, became one of us, lived amongst us, mistreated, unrespected, treated wrongly His whole life. He shows up in His holy city on the eve of His crucifixion where He would buy and pay for the price that would redeem us and set us free. And they're all singing and praising, but one week later, they're saying, crucify Him. Yet Jesus still went to the cross. Jesus still gave His life. And He died for us. Friends, listen, it's obvious that God made a heavy price and gave everything so that he could save us and bless us. The truth of the matter is today, are you willing to let him do it? Because he says in that verse, it's unbelievable, that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it even entered the hell of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. A lot of people think that's when you get to heaven, but he says, no, that that's right now. He says, for the Spirit reveals them to us. But it says, for the carnal man, this stuff is foolishness. (laughs) But to the spiritual man, this is what we desire. And then finally, he says this in Ephesians 3.20. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or even think. According to the power that works in us. Friends, have you really thought about that for a minute? Let's look at this. Now to him who is able. What's he able to do? To do exceedingly and abundantly above. What we would even dare to ask. Much less think, imagine, he could do. And he said that the eye hasn't seen what he can do. The ear hasn't heard. The heart hasn't even understand what he's prepared for us. Do you know he's got so much more for us than to go to church on Sunday, hear a sermon, hear music that we like. Yes, you might have got the goosebumps this morning. That was my song. And you might hear a sermon that sometimes said, boy, that's just what I needed to hear. Amen. But guys, he died so that he could make us new. So that he could make us more like him. So that he could give us victory over our weaknesses. And friends, today, many of us are living lives that aren't changing. Many of us are no different than the world. And one of the things that I want to tell you that he's promised throughout his Bible for us is that to be able to live the abundant life in Christ, the Spirit-filled life, the life that Christ died on Calvary to give us. That's why He put His life in us, the Spirit. And that's why He tells us if you'll follow Christ and you'll have a personal relationship with Christ, if you'll abide in Him, the vine, as a branch to the vine, His life will go into you. And guys, you'll be vastly different than religious. 
You won't just come to church. You won't just be a church person. You'll be a Jesus man. And Christ's life will come into you. You see, he's able and willing to do that by the power that works in us. And friends, listen, today, many of us has got hung up by the things that the devil has got us in bondage of. I suffer with things that I tell you the devil torments me with. There's not a person here ain't got some strongholds in his life. That you ain't got weaknesses that you wish wasn't there. That bring you down. That cause you to stumble. That failure is a part of your life. We all got it. But you don't have to live in it forever. See, our God is willing to help you. And the things that you're most ashamed of. The things that you wish wasn't there are the very things that His power is there to give help to if you're willing. It starts by truly getting saved, not religious. And friends, the problem is if you're not willing, there's consequences. He loves Israel so much, He hasn't given up on Israel. He's still going to work out His plan for Israel. Though Israel rejected Him in the first coming, they didn't accept Him. God knew they wouldn't but Jesus still died he sent the gospel to everyone some of them got saved but as a nation they rejected him as a people as Jerusalem they didn't have anything to do with him and because they rejected him he rejected them as a nation look at what the Jew has went through in this life I mean the Jew has been run down he's been scattered abroad he's been separated he's been persecuted He's been run down, and Hitler wasn't the first person that tried to exterminate them. But they're still here. Smallest people group in all of the world. Yet you can't get them out of here. Now all of a sudden they're back in the land. 1948, Israel's a recognized nation again. The Jews are coming back. Why is that? Because God is faithful to His Word. He promised them something. You see, when he comes back for the second coming, because he's using us, the Gentile, in the church to make them jealous. This was me. This was the Messiah. This is my work at the cross. I paid for your sins. I paid you for your forgiveness so you can have eternal life, not just a temporal kingdom named Israel, but an eternal kingdom named heaven. And I'm coming back and the Jew will recognize him in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. And the Jew will accept Jesus at the second coming as true King, Messiah. In the meantime, there's consequences. Look what they've went through, hell on earth. And friends, when you reject God's will for your life, not only do you leave the blessings that are unable to even count or imagine, but the blessings lead to consequences. God's will is for you to be saved. He desires that all men come to the saving knowledge of the truth and be saved. God will do everything to help you get to the place of salvation. He'll take His Word. He'll take His Holy Spirit. He'll get you in His presence. He'll put a crazy preacher that'll study and preach and live just to see you saved and preach and get up in front of people and don't care what anybody thinks except Him and preach. And then He'll take His Spirit and He'll help you understand and He'll convict you and He'll show you're a sinner and He'll help you to realize and you'll feel it in your heart. I'm not saved. I need to be saved. I know Jesus. I believe He must be the one. Yeah, Jesus will save you. He loves you. He died for you. If you'll trust Him, He'll come into your life and he'll help you and forgive you and you know all of that he'll do everything but take it the step 
You've got to be willing to take the last step to Jesus. He'll do everything possible this morning to bring you to that place where all you've got to do is say, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner, and I repent, and I turn to you, will you save me? And when you do that, he will save you. Some of us need to obey him as Lord. If you accept him as Savior, he's going to want you to be not only have him as Savior, but have him as Lord. The first thing he's going to you to do is to profess him. The, 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 the ultimate profession of a newborn believer is to be baptized. But you've got to step out. You've got to claim him. You're not going to be ashamed. Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. And friends, if you give your life to you and he gives your life to him, I promise you that life, you're not going to hide it. <laughs> you're going to want to share it. You're going to step out of the pew, but you've got to trust him wholeheartedly. These people didn't. They was praising him with their mouths, and they were saying things about him with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. They were religious. As a matter of fact, Jesus quoted a verse to them from, Jer from Isaiah. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You know, the, the thing about Jesus is you can come to church, you can fool me, I can fool you. You can fool your spouse, you can fool your children, your children can fool you. You can look pretty righteous compared to Baptists. But Jesus sees right past your religious outside, and he sees your spiritual inside. And he knows if his spirit dwells in you. And if you are saved this morning, you can still trick everybody else. You can even trick yourself. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart will tell you, you're a good little Baptist. You do all these good things. And the heart will help you to act like all them bad things ain't there. But friends, listen. The bad things in those men's life is what made them turn on Jesus. Because when Jesus confronted them, they didn't want to hear it. And guys, if you look over, it comes to a week later. The same people who was praising Jesus, the same people who were saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a week later stood with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and said, Crucify him. Crucify him. It wasn't just the religious leaders. How could that happen? Because they were more listening to the religious voice. They listened to the religious influence instead of the Spirit of God. And the Word of God. The Word of God showed them who the Messiah would be. Jesus fulfilled the Word of God. He fulfilled New Old Testament Messianic prophecy. He was doing everything. The Spirit of God would have helped him. You see, there was some that believed, but most didn't. Friends, today, Jesus is looking for us. But you've got to give your heart to Him. And friends, as we look and we think... Today, I want to ask you, are you willing? Does Jesus really have control of your life? You know, because of what Jesus did for us, he died for us. He gave his life as a sacrifice, and he saved us. And you know, when you read the book of Romans, the book of Romans to me is the greatest theological masterpiece of the gospel. You could read the book of Romans the rest of your Christian life and never figure it and get it all up. Out. There's so much new manna in that every day. But Paul lays it out, my friend, the gospel, the greatest example of its teaching. And he lays it all out, and you get to chapter 10, and he says, 
My heart's desire for Israel is that they may be saved. He says they have a religion, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Why? Because they stumbled at the stumbling block. What was the stumbling block? Jesus. They rejected him, and the one who came to save them, the rock, instead of being a rock of foundation of salvation, became a rock of offense, and they rejected him. And that's what Paul says. And then when he gets to those of us, though, who are saved, that's the Jews who rejected him. And then when you get to chapter 12, he's speaking to those of us this morning who are born again. And what are you willing to do for him because of what he was willing to do for you? Because you know what he says? In the 12th chapter, verse 1, Paul says, Having all of this that I've just showed you, what Christ did for you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, I plead with you, to give your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. For this is your reasonable act of service or worship. There's different translations. What he's saying right there is, I beseech you, Considering what Christ did for you, the sacrifice he gave to you to give your life as a sacrifice, living and holy and acceptable, because this is your reasonable act of service back to him or worship to him, considering what he done. And then he says in the next verse, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and perfect an acceptable will of God. Friends, the will of God is to save you so that you can become a sacrifice back to Him as how you live your life. And He doesn't want you to stay conformed to the world the way He found you. He wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why you preach the Word of God. That's what the information is for. And that's what it does. It helps you to be able to go back and prove that perfect will of God. Friends, it's kind of like this. The transformation... The transformation is the proof that the information that you heard, the transformation is the confirmation, I mean, that you heard the information. As you heard the information, it's going to produce transformation. That's the confirmation that you received it. If the Word of God ain't changing you, if your relationship to Christ as Savior has not changed you, then, friends, something is wrong because he died to save us, and he saves us, he changes us. You see, when you can come to church Sunday after Sunday, and you can't remember the last time God interfered with your life, that he convicted you, that he's changed you, that he brought something into your life to help you, if you can just come and be religious, something's wrong because that's what they were satisfied with. And, friends, today... God, the most amazing thing of all that he'll do for us. Yes, he loves you. He'll forgive you of your sin. Yes, he loves you enough. You can pray and he'll heal you of your sickness if that's his will. He'll bless you with your finances. He'll help you. He's a forever present help in a time of trouble. Can I get an amen? All of that is an unbelievable thing that God is here to help us. But one of the most amazing things that he does is that he takes a sinner out of the world and he brings them into his kingdom, his family, and he begins to put his life into that sinner and a product of the world is now transformed into a product that becomes part of his family. You become like him and then he sends you back into the world. But you're no longer of the world because he who in you is greater than the world. 
That's the miracle that a lot of us ain't experiencing. But you got to be willing. Today, I'm going to flat out ask you, we're planning for revival. God would want us to be revived. Do you believe that? So if we're not revived, if we're not living spirit-filled, anointed, victorious lives, not that we won't stumble here and there, but we won't live in bondage of a weakness that has got us in captivity to we've just accepted it. That's the best God can do. He saved me, I'm going to heaven, but I'll forever be trapped in this sinful behavior. I'll forever be trapped in these feelings that are so not of God. I'm depressed. I'm struggling. I'm dissatisfied. Friends, I didn't save you to be dissatisfied. He didn't say, if you're dissatisfied, because you're looking for the wrong thing to satisfy you. And you can struggle with all those things. But I'm here today to tell you that we serve a God who is able to overcome those things, who is willing to help you and is able to help you if you stay in a long-term place of spiritual bondage. If you've stumbled and you can't get up and you want to blame it on the devil, like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, you'll stay like that. But we are not victims. We are not products of our circumstances if we got saved. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ can do all things. He is our strength. He can help us. The church does not have to stay carnal. We can be fixed today. But you got to be willing. You see, he came, but they weren't willing and they suffered the consequences. You know what I learned in my life? I can't imagine the things that God had planned for me, the things I know he's offered, but I wasted them because I haven't always been willing. But the more you're willing, the more he'll do. Today, if you want revival, we got to be willing to pray for it, to ask for it. We got to be willing to let God take in our life what's keeping us from being revived. See, to be revived means you ain't vibed. Your spiritual vitality ain't where it's supposed to be. And let me tell you this. If you was filled with the Holy Ghost, if you was walking with Jesus and the power of God was on you, you'd be witnessing. Because you know the reason he gave you the Holy Ghost wasn't to speak in tongues. He said, Lord, does he speak in tongues? I've never spoken in tongues. But I'm a Baptist preacher that I don't believe it's a ceased gift. Can't find it in my Bible. But I'm going to tell you this. God didn't give us the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues like some other people teach. He gave you the Holy Ghost to speak with clarity and power and love to give a testimony and a witness of Jesus. And when a Christian lives his whole life never witnessing, never inviting people to Christ, never praying for sinners, he ain't where he's supposed to be with God. I love what Spurgeon said. There's two kinds of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. Amen. Which one are you? You see, guys, the church today is not making a difference in America today because we need God as much as they. We are unpowered. When God's power is on you, you can't help but to be a witness. And friends, today, if we have sins in our life that we can't overcome, yes, we struggle. Yes, we fail. But God gave us his spirit. He gave us his word, his presence. But God, he gave us one another to help one another, to hold one another accountable, to encourage one another. But today, we're scared to death to confess something's wrong with us. Because we're more afraid what people will think about us religiously than what God could do for us together if we all helped each other. You know what? If we have revival, someone's going to have to admit there's things in my life that's messed up. <laughs> there's things in my life that ain't supposed to be there. My life's like that. Pray for me. I'm a messed up preacher. If you knew everything about me being Jesus knows, I wouldn't be pastoring right now. I'm a train wreck waiting to happen. 
The only thing that keeps me on the track is Jesus. I want to quit all the time. The only thing that keeps me going is Jesus. I look at America and I said, there's nothing we can do. I look at you and I said, I don't know if there's anything I can do. And God says, you can't. You're finally getting it, but I can do it. Sometimes all I can do is pray for you. Sometimes all I can do is tell you what the Word of God says. Sometimes all I can do is be there with you and just say, I love you. But anytime I'm around you, I can promise you one thing. I ain't trying to fix you. Because I learned I can't even fix myself. How can I fix you but Jesus? Friends, we need more of Jesus and less of religion. We need more of Christ and less of church. And Jesus, my friend, didn't die to leave us a defeated church that can't even influence our neighborhood. Friends, when we get right with God and we get revived, the culture will quit dictating how we live. The culture will quit being the greatest influence in our life. And we'll start telling the culture how to live again. We'll start living and showing the culture how to influence people for Christ. But you've got to get right with Christ. The things in your life that you're hiding today, that your religion is so ashamed of, is the very thing you need to bring to Him. Because he knows anyway. They didn't fool him in this text, and you're not fooling him now. But he's willing to help you. He's willing to save you. And he'll save you right now if you'll come to him. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to have a time of invitation. The invitation is the most important thing of this whole day. It's where you say, Lord, I'm willing. He spoke to somebody here today. Some of you know you got saved, but you ain't where you ought to be. God said, I can fix that. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be a messed up man with a messed up family. I heard about that Friday night. Because a messed up man with a messed up family helps contribute to a messed up church. And a messed up church helps contribute to a messed up community. And it just goes all the way up. If you ain't never heard that, go listen to Tony Evans, man. It was unbelievable. Because if you messed up, your family's going to be messed up. And if your family's messed up, you're going to help mess this church up. And if enough of us is messed up, we're not going to help this community. We're going to mess it up. We need to get right with God. That's what revival is. And I'm telling you, God will send it if we're willing to want it. So I'm just going to pray. I believe there's somebody here today that God has spoken. You need to be saved. Yes, you're going to accept him. I'm going to say it with you. You can pray. But if you really pray and you mean it, I mean, get rid of religion. Religion's useless. Religion don't do nothing but make you feel bad, feel like a failure. I fail religiously every week. But Jesus keeps saying, come on to me. And his relationship is what is And today, those of us that are saved, do you want to change? Well, he's willing to help you to change. And he's able but you got to get out of your religion and get into Him. We're going to stand together. If you need to come and be saved, I'm going to ask you to just come down here and sit right here. You won't have to do nothing else from that. I'll sit with you and I'll take the Bible and show you how to know you're saved. And we're going to celebrate with you. If you can't get saved in here with us, where will you do it? We're on your team. And for those of us who have some messed up stuff in our life, man, this hurt me. I, I, it's got me where I can't forgive. I'm full of bitterness. I'm wounded. I can't trust anymore. I'm full of fear. God can take that away. But you got to be willing to let him. So today we're going to sell the devil to go back where he came from. And we're going to put Jesus where he belongs. And we're going to put him on the throne. And we're going to trust him. Amen. Father in heaven, we come in the name of Jesus, believing that he can do all things. That he's able and willing to save that which is lost. And he's willing and able to take that which has been saved 
and change them and make them into a new creature in Christ. That old things pass away, all things become new. And Lord, today we're going to get judgment day real as if we were fixing to stand before you in the morning. And we're going to say, Lord, I want this out of my life. I confess it. Now help me. And we're going to confess it and commit to you to commit to us to help us overcome it. Lord, right now, if we want revival, it starts now. It don't start on April the 25th. It starts on this Sunday. If I want it in my life today, Lord, I'm coming to you. Lord, I'm asking you to bless and draw sinners to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Right.